informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Always great to have you along for another episode of AOA, Agriculture of America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have a lot to get to on today's program. Coming up in just a second, we're going to have a conversation with Kurt Blades from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers talking about uh, looking at sustainability in agriculture and how the industry is answering the call to produce more with less. We're going to talk about that coming up here in just a second. In segment two today, we'll take a look at markets with Dwayne Bussey from Bolt Marketing. We'll get his thoughts on what is happening in this market trade as we wrap up October and head to the month of November. In segment three today, we're going to have a, a conversation with Iowa farmer, young farmer, Grant Hilbert, as we continue our harvest tour around the country. Grant's also well known for his YouTube channel, where he's been sharing a lot of his experiences uh, around the farm. We're going to talk to him coming up in segment three today. And we'll end the show with Brittany Wood from the Canola Council of Canada as we discuss the use of canola meal for dairy cows. So a lot to get to, as I mentioned here today on AOA. Brought to you by our friends at Senex, Senex Premium Diesel. It's a diesel you can count on that will keep your operation in top shape. Everything from Senex Roadmaster XL to Senex Ruby Fieldmaster on those off-road applications. Find your nearest Senex location online at Senex.com. Everyday products powered locally by Senex. All right, now joining us from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, Senior Vice President of Government and Industry Relations, Kurt Blades is back with us here on AOA. Kurt, great to talk with you again. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Well, Kurt, I saw this article come through from the staff at AEM here just a few days ago, and I thought it was very intriguing, and I'm glad we could uh, talk about this a little bit. Obviously, sustainability in agriculture is so, so big right now. It's a huge topic, it seems like, the last few years. And, you know, the industry is seemingly really doing a great job of answering the call to produce more with less. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, article here from the AEM staff and just share some of your thoughts uh, on what the industry is doing to kind of answer that call? You bet. Well, I'll tell you, here's what I would say to to uh, every one of your listeners and, and what we should be telling, you know, the sustainability and the environmental community is like, welcome to the party because farmers have been doing sustainability work for centuries. I mean, uh, you know, you don't, the, the very definition of sustainability is being able to be in business one more year and, and how many farms are, you know, century farms and have been decade and decade and generations working together. So you don't do that without being sustainable, without practicing conservation, without doing more with less every year. So we've been doing this for a long time before it was cool, before it was branded sustainability. Now, what is great about this current dialogue is that, uh, you know, we're kind of getting some credit. We in agriculture are getting credit for the good work that we've been doing and, and really recognizing that, uh, you know, technology that's available today, practices that are widely being adopted are really making a difference when you put them on an aggregate that, that really help tell that story of producing more with less. Well, and I think about this too, uh, the current time frame we're in, and you're exactly right. You know, sustainability has become kind of cool now and farmers have been doing this for a while, but we're we're kind of evolving from precision agriculture to digital agriculture. I know that was one of the quotes yep. in this piece. And uh, talk about that a little bit because I, I've been watching this happen now for the last year or two. And it's really, I think that is really, really true that we're kind of stepping up from just precision ag to digital ag, Kurt. That, that is absolutely the case. I mean, precision ag sort of started when a tractor knew where it was in the field and can drive in a straight row. And and that made a whole lot of sense for farmers to adopt that technology, you know, immediately to see the benefit of a straight roll. But then you begin to, be, you know, all this stuff becomes additive. When a tractor knows where itself is in the field and drives in a straight row, all of a sudden you're collecting data with the planter or with the, with the harvesting equipment, with spray equipment, every pass through that field. All of that data layers on top of each other and really gives a, a really good picture of 
what it is we can do to get the most out of that individual plant, out of that individual acre, and using all the equipment and technology that's available today, I mean, it makes a huge difference. You know, we, we all want to produce more with less. And then we have that, that, that ground truth, that insight, that digital data that really uh, allows us to, uh, to live up to the full potential of producing more with less. Well, and Kurt, I wonder too, with precision ag and all the technology that's out there shifting over to digital ag, you know, are we going to see more regenerative agriculture coming forward in the years ahead? I mean, there's a lot of excitement, I think, around the industry as a whole on, on where things are evolving and going at this point, Kurt. Well, I think there's, there's always a, a fair degree of hesitation in, in agriculture and really in anything to try new things that are unproven. And that's the beautiful thing about in, you know, introducing digital and data to the ag uh, profession. I mean, we, my farm, you know, we would plant things certain ways because it, you know, we learned over time that you know, experience taught us that's the way it worked in that particular field. Well, now that, it, that, that uh, paradigm can shift quicker because we have ground truth in front of us. And so, you know, we talk about regenerative ag or some of the other things that are, uh, you know, technologies are being employed where maybe they're being slow to adopt in certain areas because the facts don't necessarily back it up uh, or there's not a, a library of facts to back it up. Well, and now that we've got that data available, we might see those transitions happening a little bit quicker because we know that it's not the risk that maybe we once thought it was. So that's what's really exciting. And when you couple that with consumer demand and consumer interest in, in knowing where their food comes from, this really tells a really nice story for agriculture and for all farmers that are willing to get on board to say that, hey, we're, we're saving the world, we're feeding the world, and we're doing it in the most responsible and sustainable way possible. And I think, too, to add with that, on the farmer's side here, it, it, the shift from precision ag to digital ag and beyond, it's requiring a few new skills in modern farming, isn't it, Kurt? It, it absolutely is. And, you know, there's, there's you know, obviously new technology, precision ag equipment, new, new tractors are slightly, you know, actually not just slightly, quite a bit more complex than they used to be. And so that, that, that skill has to happen. That skill has to transfer. That's exciting. What we're, we at the association are working very hard along with our manufacturers and our new manufacturers working closely with the dealers is to make sure that those farmers are equipped with the knowledge of how to use that latest and greatest technology, but also their operators are, uh, you know, well-informed on how to get the most out of the machines and get the most out of the technology uh, to, to be as efficient as they possibly can be. Well, great thoughts. We've been talking today with Senior Vice President of Government and Industry Relations at the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, Kurt Blades. And folks can check out this uh, great piece from the uh, Association of Equipment Manufacturers on our website. Kurt, thanks for joining us here today. Really appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again real soon. You bet. Thanks much. And Kurt Blades there with AEM. And again, uh, the uh, article, Sustainability in Agriculture, How the Industry is Answering the Call to Produce More with Less. Great stuff. You can find it on our website very easily. All right, coming up next, we are going to talk markets with Dwayne Bussey from Bolt Marketing here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll be back with more here on Agriculture of America right after this. Are you curious about biologicals for stronger crop health? You're not alone. At Terramax, they've seen more farmers just like you choosing to apply biologicals with increasing success. For more than 25 years, they've been harnessing the power of microbial inoculants to strengthen roots, improve soil health, and boost yields acre after acre. If you're ready to get a biological boost, turn to the experts at Terramax. Visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more about what microbial technology can do for your farm. 
Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. A promise is potent, born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Joining us now as we talk markets, Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing is here on AOA today. Dwayne, great to have you back on the program, and I understand... Uh, a little bit of a stop to corn harvest for you with some of that snow that hit South Dakota here the last uh, week uh, week or so. So uh, hopefully you can get that done soon, but glad to have some time with you on the show today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, always happy to be out in the combine or grain cart, wherever they put me to get something done. But uh, no, it's all right. Little break over the weekend, little family time, watching the markets close this morning and just waiting for some of that snow to melt off the corn so I can get back out there. Yeah, I was hoping we were going to have an update from the combine or the grain cart uh, in the tractor cab, but we'll we'll take what we can get. And, uh, <laughs> Those are always a little bit more interesting to see if I screw up or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive into these markets. As you mentioned, you're watching things closely here today. And, you know, I look at things. We're wrapping up the month of October, switching over into November. So that can always bring a little added volatility uh, but overall, mm -hmm. you know, the soy complex, this this meal deal, this meal rally that we've seen the last few weeks uh, has really, I, I think, been the main focus of the trade up a little bit Tuesday. But uh, overall, we've uh, seen some profit taking in recent days. It's just been kind of this back and forth, um, interesting trade in the soy complex overall here, Dwayne. Yeah, it has. Uh, but I think you're right. I think a lot of it has to do this end of the month option expiration for November futures and then first notice day for November soybean futures. Last night uh, took a lot of the open interest out of the soybean market, which kind of tells me that, you know, the, the funds have gotten out of some longs or there's some length gone out. I, I think we could make another run higher. I actually really like the way the soybean market is performing today. We went right down to some support. 
We had Mexico in this morning buying 239,000 tons of U.S. beans. I like that. I like the trade action. Like you said, I think tomorrow when we flip to November, I think the soybean market takes off a little bit better. Uh, Argentina did have nice rains over the weekend, so I understand the pullback. But you're right, that soybean meal market, just look at one of those charts and kind of it's hard not to look at that chart and see how far that's come up, you know, $70 a ton and a short ton. And then it's hard not to be a little bit friendly out the raw soybean market. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, with Argentina, with the problems they've had, we have a few weather problems start to creep up in South America, too. I'm leaning more in the camp that soybeans are, are going to maybe coil here to move a little bit higher. I guess I'm most mm -hmm. bullish soybeans out of anything else here in grains or livestock right now. Oh, I, I think that's rightfully so, Jesse. Yeah, I'm the same way. You know, the U.S. soybean situation's expected to be fairly tight over this next year. So any increase in, say, meal demand or crush demand, and all of a sudden our tight situation gets uh, even tighter and maybe a little scary, pun intended for Halloween there. So, yeah, no, you're right. That is the market to be the most bullish of. For the guys that have sold their raw soybeans off the combine or pre-harvest, we are kind of pushing them to buy it back. It's not that it has to go higher, but I feel like it's well supported underneath uh, the market here currently where it's at. Like you said, maybe a little weather premium in South America. If we get a scare there, we could be at $14 on that Jan board in a hurry. Well, on the flip side, this corn market just doesn't want to do anything. You know, we went up and tested $5 D's corn, quickly rejected that, took profits there. Now we're back to four seventy-five, four eighty in a blink of an eye. And it just, it feels like we cannot find any sort of direction in this core market. We just want to chop around, Dwayne. It is so boring to watch right now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's my job and I should make it sound like it's interesting, but right now, no, cor the corn market is really boring. It's been kind of a follower. The wheat market pulls it down, which is disappointing. And then the soy market on rally days pulls it up a little bit, but you're right. Um, really narrow trading range. Literally, as we talk, no change, almost straight down the corn board here on the day. Just yeah, waiting for news. Unlike soybeans, we will have plenty of corn in 2024 in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. Demand's okay, uh, but export demand has been lacking, no doubt. Um, we would really love to see China step in and buy some of our corn in a big way. We're going to need something like that to really rally the market, but I do think the harvest lows are in. I'm fingers crossed, hoping they hold. Um, but it would take a little bullish story, something. And, and rallies in, in the corn market this year are going to be like that 525 for March, 535. That's good enough, I guess. I, I think on a rally like that, I think you got to reward it and sell it because of our big supplies. Well, and to that point, I, I've heard some chatter from farmers here in the last week or so, more so soybeans than corn, but uh, chatter nonetheless that some folks are saying, you know what, hey, my basis level's good enough. I can make some money here. I'm just going to sell some stuff and be done mm -hmm. with it. And again, I've heard that more in soybeans than in corn, but I've even heard a little bit of corn out there too. Some folks just saying, you know what? I, my margin looks fine here. I'm going to take it and not worry about it because I've heard a lot of folks are, you know, woefully undersold on this year's crop. Yeah, I've heard the same things. And if those guys are looking at it now and saying, you know, this basis isn't horrible, I don't see a lot of upside in corn, I'm going to just sell it. I, I'm not going to stop them from doing that. Um, gosh, I was one of the guys thinking that, you know, between 460 and 420 is where the D's board would end up with our big supplies. And we didn't crash that low. Now, there's part of me that thinks if we would have got down that low, we would find some of that Chinese demand and it'd start rallying. So maybe it would have been better for the market. But, but you know, we haven't. We're above that. And like I said, it's not impossible for us to make harvest lows go sideways for a while and then sadly trend lower if Brazil's got a big second crop of corn coming. But that's a big question mark still moving forward. You know, southern Brazil's had heavy downpour rains and you know, the more replanting of soybeans that area has to have, the later the corn crop, second crop of corn gets pushed back. So there still could be some weather scares, but whatever bullish rally you get, like I mentioned before, you, you get in that 535 area for March corn, it, it has to be rewarded. And then you better look at next year's crop too. 
mention the wheat market real quick. It's just been a dog. You kind of alluded to it here. I know winter wheat planting is progressing along the crop, but 47% good to excellent nationwide as of Sunday. Uh, same kind of case in wheat here. Just feels like we, we can't find demand even at some of these lower prices. Yeah, last couple of days, the wheat market has been very disappointed to find that China stepped back in and we're an aggressive buyer of Aussie wheat and uh, French wheat as well. So we thought they were in buying some of our wheat and turns out that they decided to buy Australian wheat, which is, like I said, a huge disappointment and got the, the wheat market back down to the, the lows. Seasonally, we should be grinding out of these lows by now, but I, I don't have that bullish catalyst to give to the wheat market to tell it, oh, you you better buy here, you better run. The you know, and Russia's having a hard time selling wheat. And if Russia's having a hard time selling wheat at their cheap prices, it's going to be hard for us to move much wheat too. But overall, our, our wheat supplies are fairly low. So it should find support here. But, you know, seeing the winter wheat crop conditions start, you know, obviously a lot better than anticipated or better than a year ago, I should say, in yesterday's mm -hmm. crop progress report, that put a little pressure on wheat complex as well. Let's wrap up with livestock. I know in the case of hogs, we're seemingly finding a bottom here the last couple of sessions while cattle trading a bit mixed here early this week after we saw that big sell-off here in feeders, especially a few sessions back. What's your take in the protein sector overall here today? Yeah, I think we made a really good low in the hog market, not because our supply is going to change that much, but uh, watch in coming days, you might see some more news of ASF cases spiking up in China again, which actually push supply onto the market as they sell some of their hogs. But uh, obviously, if that would go around again, that could be a bullish long term story for us. Cattle complex, obviously, we traded that bearish cattle on feed reports. We're pausing now, we're digesting that. We still are tight with cash ready fat steers. But I, don't, I definitely feel like the highs are in, and I'm kind of looking to hedge some for cow-calf guys if those November feeders can get that 239.5 area. It's still a very good price, of course. And I know on top of everything, Federal Reserve meeting going on here this week, sounds like we won't get an interest rate hike on Wednesday. We could be surprised, though, uh, but there could be more down the road. That's at least what I'm hearing, but I know... Uh, whatever the Fed does, it bears watching, right, Dwayne? It, well, it sure does, especially their comments. I don't think they'll raise rates like you said this week, but I think what they will do is talk about rates staying higher for a longer period of time. And just them mentioning that might cause the U.S. dollar to spike up and then hurts all those exports I just mentioned that we need. Dwayne, if folks want to reach out to you, get some market advice and more, I know they could do that easily. How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, they can call us here directly, 605-448-2365. That'll either get me in the office or the grain cart, either one. And I know they can find you as well online, boltmarketingllc.com. With that, Dwayne Bussey from Bolt Marketing, appreciate a few minutes of your time here on AOA today to talk about the markets. Thanks so much, and we'll have you back on soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jesse. All right, coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Central Iowa young farmer Grant Hilbert as we continue our harvest tour here on AOA, powered by Cenex Premium Diesel. Back with more on the way right after this. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. Soybean meal has started to move higher again today, which is pulling up soybeans. Corn is up slightly as well. Wheat is remaining under heavy pressure this morning as demand remains scarce. 
Ukraine exports are ramping up. Grain shipments have been moving through the so-called humanitarian corridor in the Black Sea with four ships departing Ukrainian ports this week and more loading in the Odessa region. The four ships that have already sailed from Ukraine were carrying about 130,000 metric tons of agriculture products and 10,000 tons of metal. The European Union may use the grain from Ukraine to supply Egypt, which is the world's biggest importer of the grain. U.S. wheat exports since the start of the marketing year on June 1st at 6.76 million tons. That's down 23% year over year. Buyers have committed to purchase 11.1 million metric tons from the U.S. since the beginning of June. That's down 6% from the same period last year. As for soybeans, China booked 26 cargoes for shipment last week. That's bringing the purchase pace back up to normal levels after several weeks of slower purchases. Now, there had been rumors of up to 10 cargoes of Brazilian beans that had been washed out by Chinese buyers during the week, but they were not replaced with U.S. beans, with low water levels on the Panama Canal being a limiting factor for purchases of U.S. beans via the Gulf ports. China booked more than 12 million metric tons of soybeans for loading in October, with nearly half of those shipments coming from Brazil as the they are competitively priced. The 12 million metric tons of bean shipments will again exceed China's crush needs. That will allow it to continue to build supplies to fill its needs during times of slower shipments down the road. China has booked roughly 7.5 million metric tons of beans for shipment in November, with nearly half of those coming from South America. The VIX is trading near 19 this morning, while the dollar index is seeing some upward momentum. And crude oil prices have been on either side of unchanged this morning. However, currently, they are modestly higher. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do. It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours at any hour of the day. Or just simply making time for people, a neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger. We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When is the last time you reached out for help? Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others. If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesels like Cenex Roadmaster XL and Cenex Ruby Fieldmaster for some of those off-road applications, everyday products powered locally by your friends at Cenex. Well, last week I was able to snag some time on the phone with young farmer from Central Iowa and YouTuber Grant Hilbert as he was wrapping up his final harvest activity and we really had a great conversation about fall harvest and some of the issues that are of concern to him and other young farmers and I want you to be able to hear that interview and conversation right now here on AOA so let's listen into that interview from last week with Grant Hilbert. And joining us now on the program, harvest season is wrapping up, or at least getting close to wrapping up across much of the country, but we continue a, a bit of a harvest tour around the country here for this fall, and we're going to focus in on central Iowa right now, and uh, really happy to have our next guest join us. Uh, you may know him from YouTube. He uh, started the Farming Simulator videos over seven years ago, and now he has a another YouTube channel where they're documenting uh, him and his brother, their work on their own actual farm now. And um, great to have him on to give us a bit of a harvest update. Grant Hilbert is with us. Grant, it's good to talk to you, buddy. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Yeah, we, we started on Farm Sim and Finally got three years of, of real farming under our belt, so yeah, we're, uh, we're 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 learning a lot. But uh, this harvest was a good one. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And it's it's funny too. We ran into each other uh, at the Farm Progress show, and you introduced yourself, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man, I know you. You know, I've seen you know your YouTube content and stuff." And so it was cool. We we got to make that connection in person, and so uh, and then I was like, you know, hey, why don't you come on the show and, and talk to us a little bit? So glad we could make this happen uh, here today. And I know you're 
Uh, obviously, uh, kind of slowing down a little bit, finishing out harvest here, it sounds like. That's why you have some time available, because uh, I know it's been a fast and furious uh, harvest here this fall. Talk about just uh, how things have been going, what you guys have seen out there in the fields, et cetera. What are you hearing from neighbors? How have things been going so far this fall, Grant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just finished harvest. We just wrapped it up last night, actually, which would have been the October 23rd. And, uh, and yeah, so we farm in kind of two different areas. One is kind of, I'll call it Southeast central Iowa, which is along the Haskell County and Powasheet County border. And that area got a lot of rain. We caught a lot of rain this summer. I would say from planting season to September 1st, we had, you know, anywhere from 16 to 18 inches, extremely lucky for, for, for that area. If you go Northeast of there, it's in a D3 drought. If you go southeast of there, it's in D3 drought. So um, we got lucky. Bean yields were pretty good. Um, you know, for example, one rough farm went 58 bushel an acre, and then a fairly good farm went uh, 76. So we got really lucky with beans. And then um, corn yields were anywhere from that, we'll call it 235 range up to 270 Um and stuff and even the marginal ground i i formed some pretty marginal ground mm-hmm. and we got enough rain to really to really um keep those hills pumping uh for corn so i we, we had some record yields but it was just a very small area that that had some good yields and a lot of neighbors also had some good yields there but then if you go up towards story county that's another area that we farm in just uh 80 acres up there we're we're, we're really small and that area, um, also, I've heard some really good yields out of there, anywhere from the 230 up to the 270 range on corn. I haven't heard too much on beans yet. Usually, Story County is a little tougher to grow beans. But uh, corn was, I think, pretty good up there. Our farm up there went uh, 215 bushel an acre. And it was a rough farm that just came out of CRP. But uh, I was honestly expecting a little more uh, for corn yield up there that, than what we actually came out to. But mm-hmm. like I said, it was a little rougher farm and, and just came out of CRP this spring. So, so overall though, between those two areas, those two regions, I'd say all the way from Story County through Jasper to kind of Powashik, Mahaska through central Iowa, those, those kind of caught a lot of rains right through that region. So mm-hmm. I think pretty good yields out of those areas. I heard, uh, the, term variability seems like it's been thrown around a (laughs) lot here this year and i think to your points as well uh some areas really good that caught those rains but maybe if you didn't catch the rains at the right time you maybe weren't looking at as good yields it just feels like variability whether it's across the state of iowa or across the entire midwest was just all over the place out there this growing season have you heard kind of the same grant I'd agree. I'd agree. And a lot of soil type too, it seems like if you go over to like Tama County, I have some friends that farm Tama County and they're really good producers. And it was, it was, it was pretty rough. So across central Iowa, it was, it was, it was pretty variable. Now, uh, I know with uh, some of the drought and dryness issues, uh, some folks did get that rain, but it felt like this year we didn't have as much in the way of disease pressure or pest pressure with how dry it was. Would you agree with that, or did you see any uh, disease or pest pressure on your operation? In the Mahaska Power Sheik area, it, it depends on farms and hybrid. We had we had uh, one farm that was, uh, I'll call a hilltop rolling farm, that there was a little tar spot still. Mm-hmm. And even the fungicide, the fungicide we put on was only an eight bushel advantage, and I was expecting it to be way more this year. Um, and there was just a little bit of tar spot on there. But then if you go to just four miles west of there at a creek bottom farm, different hybrid, corn on corn too, and there was a ton of tar spot. And so that fungicide, I think on that check strip was a 15 bushel advantage on that. So I'd say our that little region had a lot of lot of tar spot, especially in those low creek bottoms there. Um, if you go up to Story County there, there was still some tar spot, just not as much. So uh, would you say that tar spot, we've obviously been seeing that continue to expand across the country here. Would you say that's your biggest concern maybe moving forward uh, into next growing season and beyond is how to manage uh, tar spot in your cornfields? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I would say, especially if we say moist and damp um, and stuff like that, I would say yes. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a little troublesome. So, like I said, it's only my third year, though. So yeah. this is really the first year that I've 
I've really had heavy tar spot pressure like we did. Well, it's cool that, you know, your third year, you guys are, are learning and, and gaining knowledge from, from neighbors and, and friends and whatnot. And so it's cool to see that perspective uh, as a young farmer. And two, you know, I mentioned uh, the new YouTube channel. We should give you a, a plug for that if folks want to see uh, the things you guys do on your farm, or maybe they're not necessarily in farming and ranching, but they want to learn more and, and see where their food comes from. I know you guys are doing a an awesome job kind of documenting things uh, on your farm as they go. So talk about that, that new YouTube channel a little bit. Yeah. So on the YouTube side of a YouTube channel, I have, I have a couple, but one of them on the real life side is just called Grant Hilbert, my name. And so I just document uh, the journey getting started as a first generation farmer, really all the struggles and successes. There's definitely a lot more struggles. Mm. Like, you know, for example, this fall, I was, I was doing something stupid. I was pulling two heavy, Brent 650 wagons up a steep hill that I shouldn't have been pulling up, got caught in a power hop and power hopped this tractor. My head was hitting the roof. I kind of show it all on there. So every, every mistake we make, I just try and document the journey on there. And then, um, and then my brother Spencer also forms with me and he has a separate YouTube channel just called Spencer Hilbert. He's very transparent with like the numbers. So he'll show exactly how much he made per acre this year on that on that channel and let's see i think on his farm he would lose money this year i'm guessing but uh uh he's very transparent on his youtube channel and shows the exact same thing that i do just uh different farms different content so well and and i should ask as well and it's really great stuff again it's just under uh his name grant hilbert you can go find it on youtube and just one thing to kind of wrap up here your perspective as a young farmer we hear a lot about interest rates being high and you know, obviously you got to manage your, your margins and your input costs and more. And we hear about all the issues going on in DC with a farm bill, et cetera, et cetera. In your mind, what is your biggest concern as a young farmer right now? If you could put that into perspective for us, or maybe, maybe not, I don't, maybe there's multiple, I'm not sure. Maybe there's not too many concerns, but if you had one, what would be the biggest thing for you uh, that you're watching right now? Big, biggest thing for me, I would say, is interest rates are super important. I don't think there's a young farmer that doesn't uh, doesn't borrow money. Maybe there's a couple, but um, but but land, I would say, land land is by far by far the toughest thing, mm-hmm. um, in, in my opinion, uh, to own land to rent land. That, that's really the toughest thing, and I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of we'll call it older people or older generations out there that are that are really looking to get young farmers started. And I think, I think if you do things right, um, opportunities will, will come to you and stuff. And, and so I think, um, land by far, by far is, uh, is, is the toughest access. And it's something that, uh, you know, we continue to see rental rates and, and land sales at very high levels. So great point, great perspective, uh, something, uh, for us to, definitely think about I, I would say moving forward and you know the, the bad thing about land values obviously grant i think you and i both know this is that uh that cost it might stay high if the demand is there and people uh people want to run up the price on some of that good farmland right yep exactly exactly so yeah. we'll we'll see what happens here but yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it's it's one of those things uh, one of those many battles but uh to everything you said Sounds like you're doing a great job. Looks like you're doing a great job on your YouTube channel. And folks can check it all out. Grant Hilbert on YouTube. And we appreciate the Harvest Update and the conversation here today on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll have to have you back on again soon. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Jesse. Great thoughts. Insightful conversation. Glad I was able to uh, bring you that conversation that I had last week on the phone with Grant Hilbert from Central Iowa. Again, you can find him on his YouTube channel and uh, watch his Young Farmer Beginning Farmer Journey up close and personal. Really, really cool stuff. All right, coming up next here on AOA, powered by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We're going to have a conversation with Brittany Wood with the Canola Council of Canada. Learn more about canola meal being used for dairy cows. That and more is coming up here after the break as we're back with more on AOA right after this. Everyone has a community to lean on, a neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. 
Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around, reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with John Wetzel, Lubricants Quality Assurance Manager for CHS, about fall maintenance tips after harvest. John, why is it important for farmers to have a fall maintenance plan, and what should it include? After fall harvest is completed, most farm equipment will be put away in storage until spring, which provides a good opportunity to perform preventative maintenance that will ensure equipment is ready when needed before spring planting. One important part of maintenance is checking fluids and filters, ensuring those fluids and filters are in good working order and changed as needed. Well, what maintenance projects are often overlooked and why? One important component of a good equipment maintenance plan that is often overlooked is used oil testing. A good used oil testing program is going to help you catch equipment issues while they're still small and repairable before they get out of control and result in a major equipment failure. Well, John, how can farmers get started conducting used oil analysis? Starting a used oil analysis program is straightforward with lube scan used oil analysis kit. You can get a loop scan kit through your local Cenex lubricants representative, and many Cenex dealers and CHS cooperatives sell these simple-to-use loop scan kits, which contain everything including a sample bottle and information form needed for sending a sample in for lab analysis. Once the sample is collected, you can simply drop it in the mail using the provided package. So how can the loop scan used oil program benefit farm operations? Used oil analysis can help determine the condition of your equipment's engine, transmission, other components, and alert you to development issues that can lead to a costly breakdown. We cannot determine the condition of the inside of an engine, for example, by simply looking at the outside of it. A used oil analysis is really the only way to get a look inside your equipment without taking it apart. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter specific peer groups, full service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future. Turning to biologicals for improved plant nutrition and nitrogen fixing may feel novel to a lot of farmers, but it's a proven method for decades. Nobody knows this better than Terramax, a leading innovator of biological inoculants for more than 25 years. Their strong roots in microbial technology means they know what it takes to deliver stronger roots for crops acre after acre. When you decide to boost your yield with biologicals, turn to Terramax. Then visit TerramaxAg.com to learn more. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
Welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Joining us now, we're going to discuss the canola crop outlook and what it could mean for U.S. dairy producers. Joining us, Brittany Wood, Director of Canola Utilization with the Canola Council of Canada. Brittany, thanks so much for joining us on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Great to join the program today. Well, let's talk a little bit about canola harvest. How are things uh, coming along for North American producers here as we're uh, getting towards the end of the 2023 season? Yeah, so canola harvest is, I would say, probably almost complete. In terms of canola, uh, where it's grown, we've got some acres grown in, uh, in the United States. A lot of the crop is grown in Canada. And so canola harvest is pretty much done, maybe a few stragglers. So, for example, where I'm sitting today in Canada, we just had snowfall event. So it's actually white outside uh, in my backyard today. So we are, are moving off of, of harvest and uh, just excited to look at uh, the canola quality and uh, understand total production that we had this growing season. Just to give you a bit of an idea of what the crop looks like, it was uh, an interesting summer. We had parts of the summer where canola production in certain areas actually didn't look that great. It was very, very dry again. Um, but as the summer progressed, I think we saw uh, some really timely rainfall events and uh, some temperatures that were ideal for canola. And so we actually think now that the total production was was probably better than we anticipated. So um, just a, a bit of a sneak peek on numbers for, for Canada anyway. I, I can really just comment on that because that's the number I have. Mm-hmm. Um, Statistics Canada has an estimate of about 17.6 million metric tons, which I think is about maybe 18 and a half uh, short tons. And so we actually think it's, it's probably a bit bigger than that. And then we have the U.S. crop as well um, that, uh, you know, probably will contribute a million, two million tons. Uh, so we're looking at a good crop size again this year. Well, good to hear uh, things are, are looking great with that uh, canola crop this year. How will this year's harvest, how could it impact uh, dairy producers, uh, not just uh, Canada, but U.S. dairy producers as well, Brittany? So I think it, it kind of comes down to that consistent availability of product. So for canola, we, we produce canola oil and then we produce canola meal. And so that's really the product that U.S. dairy producers are um, pretty familiar with, I would say. Uh, but aside from 2021, we had uh, experienced, I think, in various parts of North America, some significant drought. Beyond that, though, the crop has looked really good. And so we have that consistent availability of product. Um, that is available for dairy producers. And so I think the there's a couple parts to the story. One is that we know that uh, demand for veg oils is actually really good, right? So demand for vegetable oils for food and for fuel is, is high. And so canola crush um, or processing is really running at a pretty optimal rate right now, really near capacity. So that means that we're producing um, significant volumes volumes of canola meal. And a lot of that canola meal is actually utilized within the United States. Um, much of it going to the top 10 dairy producing states with obviously, you know, California taking a lot of that volume. And then I'll just go one step further here and think a few years out. So I mentioned that oil uh, demand is really high. And so that has spurred a lot of investments in processing capacity. Uh, we see that in, in North America for, for vegetable oils or soybean oil or canola oil, where we're trying to produce more of that product because the demand is great. And so that really means that there's more oilseed meal, there's more canola meal that's going to be available. So we do see capacity for canola processing going up potentially as much as 50% or maybe even a bit more um, over probably the next one to five years. So the amount of additional meal uh, that's going to be available, I think, is a really good news story for U.S. dairy producers. It means that, you know, you can rely on the product. Um, and it's going to be there to to support uh, feeding dairy cattle and producing high-quality milk. 
We're talking with Brittany Wood, Director of Canola Utilization with the Canola Council of Canada. Brittany, uh, can you explain a little bit what are the steps between when canola is harvested and when a dairy producer can use it in their ration? Sure. Okay. So canola comes off the field as a tiny black seed. It actually looks like a poppy seed, uh, a big poppy seed. Um, if you've ever driven by a canola field in sometime in July, you'll see beautiful yellow flowers. The whole field of wash in yellow looks really stunning, actually. And so what comes off the field is those tiny black seeds. Um, the farmer either stores them on, on farm for a period of time or sells them directly uh, to the processing or crush facility. And so that canola seed gets pressed out to remove as much of the oil as possible. The remaining product um, is, is then that canola meal product. And it can be sold, uh, a dairy farmer might see it as, um, or a feed mill uh, as mash product, but mostly as a pellet. Quite often it is seen as a pellet, um, the same product between the two of them. And so that product can either, depending on the size of the farm and the ability to store different feed ingredients, it can either be put directly into the TMR uh, or it can go to a feed mill and be added in with other ingredients uh, and delivered to the farm that way. So the canola meal that uh, is incorporated into the diet is providing uh, amino acids. So it's a high quality protein ingredient with the amino acids that uh, the cow is really looking for in terms of producing um, the most amount of milk. And it's supplying rumen undegradable protein, supplying fiber and other nutrients. So it's really an ideal uh, feed ingredient for the dairy cow. Well, Brittany, where can producers learn more about canola and canola meal? So we do have a website called canolamazing.com. And so that is the website that has uh, a lot of information about feeding canola meal. So some really good practical information. If you Google canola meal, I'm sure you'll you'll come across that page as well. Canola Council of Canada also has resources as well. So there's um, and U.S. Canola Growers Association as well. Brittany Wood with the Canola Council of Canada. Thanks for being with us on AOA today. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. Have a great day. We're out of time here on AOA, powered by Cidex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. Hungry kids get sick more often and can struggle in school. It can be harder for them to focus and learn. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, no Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. We want to ensure that all of our kids have healthy meals every day. Thank you. Thank you for helping feed our kids. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today.